You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. We are in the book of Acts. Uh, We've been calling this series called Witness. And we've been talking about our witness to the world as when it comes to, you know, us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is kind of like an old family album. Uh, This past Christmas, you might have, you know, went through the old family photo albums. You're looking at the photos and you're remembering how things were. And, oh, remember when we used to do a real Christmas tree and now we have the fake one. Oh, remember when we used to go up to the cabin. Oh, remember. And you're looking back, right? Uh, Or or maybe you put in the old VHSs. You pulled out those, like, you know, the the big old thing. Uh, For those of you who are Gen Z, a VHS, it's like a square tape. It has tape in it, and you put it in, this machine plays it. Anyways, um, and you looked at it, and you, it, brought, it brought back memories, right, of how things were. This is how the book of Acts is. It is the church's family photo album. It is the church's VHS. Uh, and, uh, and we get to look back and see what happened in the very beginning. And and we can begin to take some cues from it. Like perhaps maybe this Christmas you saw, oh yeah, remember when we used to do that tradition? And you're looking at the photos. We should start doing that again. That's what the book of Acts is. We look at, oh remember, they used to do things like this. We should start doing things like that again. And so that is why we are going through this book. We're going to spend a number of more weeks finishing up the book of Acts, and we'll jump into a new series right before Easter. And today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 14. To give us a little bit of context of where we've been, um, the first kind of section of Acts has been uh, Jesus' ascension, uh, the kind of birth of the early church, the coming of the Spirit, how they were operating as a community. And it was talking about evangelism, that is outreach, sharing the good news, the gospel, the hope of Jesus with the Jews, with the Jews. And something happened in chapter 12. There was a transition of sorts. It moved from their ministry to the Jews, one people group, to all of a sudden this guy named Paul comes onto the scene. He was a Christian murderer uh, who hated Christians, wanted to stomp out Christianity, had an encounter with the risen Christ. And now he has been sent as a missionary, a missionary to share the good news, the gospel, with not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, those who are not from that people group, you and me, unless you're of Jewish heritage in, in that, uh, then, then you, you, you still are a Jew. Uh, and so um, here is what's going to happen today. We're going to read Acts chapter 14, but for context's sake, uh, we're going to start in chapter 13 to kind of understand what took place because we're kind of skipping over that chapter. We don't have all year to go through Acts. So If you are willing and able, uh, if you could stand as we read God's word, these are some of the most important words you're going to hear today, and so we stand in honor of them. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but it's narrative, so I think you're going to bear with me, okay? So um, here's, we're going to start in verse 42. Let's read this together. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. And the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. 
But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they became jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. So this is what has been happening in Acts. But since you have rejected and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, whoa, Paul, uh, we will offer it to the Gentiles also. Let's continue. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. They thanked the Lord for his miss and ran them out of town. So they shook off the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened, we're in 14, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. It continues, but the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews along with their leaders decided to attack them and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Laocenia. What's going on with my mic here? Sorry. The towns of Lystra and Derby, and the surrounding area. And they preached the good news. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting, and as listening to Paul preach, looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called up to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. This gets wild. Here we go. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside of town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flour to the town gates to prepare offer, uh, to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out to the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Finally, in the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some of the Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, the earlier towns, and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and they dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But the believers gathered around him and he got up 
and he went back into the town. The next day, with Barnabas, he left for Derby. God, thank you for this portion of the story. I pray that we would learn from it today and we would hear from you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Woo, okay, that was a lot of scripture. A lot of scripture. But there's a number of common themes that are taking place throughout this text. And the first theme I want to speak to is this. Is I, you see a theme of acceptance and rejection. Acceptance and rejection. This especially comes when it comes to the, the final city that they find themselves in. Where the people actually accept them to such a degree that they believe that they are gods. Okay, now what is happening here is there was a Greek myth that they had heard that the gods had come down and were among them and were trying to find a place to sleep and they went to a thousand homes and they were rejected in every single one and so then the gods cursed them. And so they were like, oh, Paul and, and Barnabas, this, they could be the gods and just in case, we don't want to make the mistakes that they made in the past, let's sacrifice some bulls to them, right? Because obviously they're gods and just like, you know, and, and even if they're not, just in case, let's make sure we do this. And things are getting a little out of hand. And just moments later, though, after wanting to sacrifice to them, some Jews arrive from Iconium. Can I get a handheld? Um, from Iconium and Antioch. And here's what ends up happening. Is that they end up, I'll just switch over. Check one, two. There we go. Um, so they show up. This, okay, so for instance, uh, Iconium is 100 miles away. Sorry, Antioch is 100 miles away. Iconium is 20 miles away. Okay? Uh, and so they've come a long distance, and they begin to stir up the crowd to no longer accept them as gods, but actually reject them and stone them. In what feels like five minutes has gone by, okay? Uh, in five minutes has gone by, they've gone from you are gods to we're going to kill you, right? Like, what is going on here? There's this acceptance and there's this rejection. Now here's, this isn't the like full on point of the message. And I wasn't even sure I was going to bring it up today, but I feel like it's an important point for us. I was reading this text and I thought about our culture today. How quickly we deify people. And how quickly we demonize people. Don't we, we, we do it all the time, don't we? we? We deify them. We lift them up to a place that you are above us. You are our leaders. We look to you. And just as quickly when someone makes a mistake, we are so quick to demonize them. This is what happened in this text. They go from straight up being gods, deified, to, oh, you know what? You are actually blasphemous. You are from the enemy. We're going to stone you. And I think there is a lesson for us, a lesson for us today, especially as the people of God, that we do not be a people who deify people, and we are not a people who demonize people. And, and why is this? Because Paul actually shares with us the good news. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are just human beings. We're merely human beings like you. And this is just a first point, and I'm going to get into the rest of it. But I think that there is a lesson for us that if we look to the person on our left and our right, the person who is on social media, the person who is our political leader, 
that celebrity, whoever they are, fill in the blank. They are merely a human being, just like you. I want that to sink in for us in a culture that cancels, in a culture that crucifies people because they are human beings, because they let us down. They are merely human beings just like you. Have you made a mistake? I have. Yesterday. You see, we as people have this propensity towards accepting things and rejecting things. And and it's the same with the good news of the gospel. We can see this happening time and time again in this text. Literally in every city that Paul finds himself in, he sees some who have accepted the message and some who have rejected the message. We first see this in Antioch, right? They arrive in Antioch, and we can see the grace of God falling almost, uh, it says falling, the following week, almost the entire city came out to hear them preach the word of God. There was like this acceptance, this excitement in the city. Now, just like a little bit later, though, verse 45, but when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, So they reject the word, and they slander Paul, and they argue against everything that he said. Uh, You see see what they're doing there? They're just like, we don't even care what you're saying, whether it's true or right. We're just going to be, like, defensive. We're just going to argue against you. And so they see acceptance from some, but rejection from others. This happens in Iconium as well. It says, says, uh, oh, sorry, we'll go to the next slide. Um, It says this. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue, preached with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. Now, what happens? The same pattern. Let's go to the next slide. But some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. So there's this acceptance and then there's a rejection. Same thing happens in Lystra. This is the story I was just talking about. One moment they are gods, and the next they are rejected. They are to be stoned. Uh, It says, these are gods in human form, right? And then the next, the Jews arrived from Antioch, Iconium, won the crowds to their side, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town. See, there are polarizing reactions to the good news of Jesus. Some people love it, and others despise it. And in fact, they will even travel great distances to try and stamp it out. Why is it? Well, Paul explains his theory on why this is uh, in some of his letters. We see it both in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says. In 1 Corinthians, he says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So we preach that Christ was crucified, and the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. 
But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says to those who have rejected this message, those who ultimately in their free choice will say, he says to them, they just go, this is foolishness. But to us who believe, he says, this is the very power of God. He later writes also to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.16. He says this, to those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. <laughs> well, I was like, wow, I, I didn't know that was my scent, you know, um, <laughs> to some of you. <laughs> and uh, he says, like, that's like, that's pretty awful, right? Uh, it's like, but he says, but to those who believe, oh, we are a life-giving perfume. Some of, you, some of you ladies are like, where could I get some of that, right? You know, just life-giving perfume, right? He, he says that there's this reaction, this acceptance and rejection based off of the ultimate destination, the ultimate inclination of someone's heart when it comes to God. And this is the effect of the gospel, the good news to some is foolishness, to others wisdom. To some, the dreadful smell of death and doom. And to others, life-giving perfume. So what does this mean for us? This means this, that there will be different reactions to the gospel, the good news. It is to be expected. I've had some people show so much interest in the gospel. Okay, I like if I'm sitting sitting at coffee and working, I'm talking with them. They're leaning in, they're listening, they want to hear. And there's others who like look at me and just think I'm absolutely bonkers nuts, right? Uh, and uh, and it's so funny. Sometimes the people who think I'm bonkers nuts are the guys who are just talking to me for like ten minutes about how the Earth is flat, right? And then they look at me and think I'm crazy, right? And so, but there's this this reaction. There's acceptance. There's people who want to lean in. And they're like, I want to hear more. And they end up coming to faith and they get baptized and they join a community group. And they end up, you know, Nathan asks them to serve on the serve team. They're like, I'm in, right? And there's others who are like, I will never enter the doors of a church ever, okay? That is a crazy factory, okay? Uh, and so <laughs> there are just different reactions. Some tell me, man, wow, like you just, every, you, you're just such a life-giving person. And then I've had other people tell me like, oh, man, like, you know, it, you're just so small-minded, you know. You're just so small-minded. I've been welcomed as an honored guest, and I've been rejected and excluded from things because of my faith. People will have different reactions to the gospel. It is to be expected, but the interesting thing is, is that the exact same message elicits different responses, much like, like all news, right? <laughs> like, have you noticed lately that news is pretty polarizing, right? You like, you you look uh, at a new, a recent news story. Let's just say it's like posted somewhere on social media. I go to the comment section with popcorn, okay? Because it's just gonna be, it's gonna be wild, right? There's gonna be some people who are gonna be like, finally, yes, I'm so glad they're finally doing something, and the others who are just like, go away, right? Calling for their heads, news by nature of it being news, is polarizing. This is something we experience. This is something we see, not just with the good news of the gospel, but with all sorts of news. And so this, this will happen. But what does this mean for you and for me? Well, this means that not everyone will respond positively to your faith. You're not going to be liked by everyone. 
Some of you have given up on sharing the good news or the gospel with people because you had a bad reaction one time. But that is to be expected. And this is especially hard for us as Canadians. We want to be liked by everyone, you know, and we just want to be at peace. We don't want to be confrontational, all that kind of stuff. And what happens is we get one strong reaction, like a negative reaction to our faith or gospel, and then we kind of shrink back. We get fearful and afraid and all these kind of things. But Paul tells us so clearly, and we can see it as we look at our family history, that when the good news is preached, man, to some people it transforms them. And others, it, it makes them, they, they clench their fists, they get angry, they get frustrated, they want to stomp it out. This is what happens, and so here's what I want to encourage you. Don't feel let down. Don't feel, uh, you know, just like small or hopeless because you received negative feedback when it comes to your faith. Uh, I'm just thinking of a story right now. I was talking to somebody and they were talking about how they stopped sharing their faith. They were in a book club, and they were talking about how their faith was really meaningful to them. And they just got totally squashed in that moment. And they said, man, I just haven't shared my faith since then. And I looked at them, and I said, listen, Jesus did not promise that we would be liked. Do you remember from a message a number of weeks ago when we were in Acts chapter 12? Where I talked about the fact that we were promised we were promised not prosperity, but, but actually persecution. And Jesus said these words. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. There are many. And at the very least, there are some who respond so positively that it actually transforms and changes their life forever. And here is the thing that I love about Paul. Is that Paul, he gives us an example of what it means to be someone who is just so persistent in sharing our faith and sharing the good news. I love the fact, it says in one city, it says they beat him up and they threw him out of town. And then it says he shook off the dust off his clothes and it says he walked right back into town, right? In another place, they literally stoned him like to near death. And the believers pick him up and they bring him back into the city. And then at the end of this chapter, we actually see that that. The exact same thing happens in verse 21 and 22. Uh, in verse 21 and 22, it's, it says this. It says that after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They strengthen the believers. They encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Even after rejection, they still go back to these places. They literally had a mob come from Iconium and Antioch to kill them. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go back there next week to encourage the believers, right? Like, some of you are like, I can't even walk in that coffee shop anymore, right? Like, you know, it's like... <laughs> This is, they give us this incredible example of faith. But it's also a reminder for us this morning that the good news can cost us something. The good news, the sharing of the good news comes with a cost. Um, I shared moments ago various reactions that I've received. And many of those reactions, even the most negative one, they're pretty low bar, just like social costs. 
You know, they stung, but no one physically harmed me, all right, uh, because I, I shared my faith. They, they might have belittled me or mocked me or whatever it might be, but no, one, no one's actually, like, hurt me because of the gospel physically. And I know sticks and stones may break your bones, but names do hurt. And, and sometimes we can, like, we can be, uh, you know, just so shell-shocked by that. But I want to remind us that actually the good news and the sharing of it costs people a great deal all over the world. It certainly cost Paul something. We see that, you know, he was beat up, he was rejected, and we're going to see all sorts of other treatments that he will receive. In fact, all of the disciples except for one were killed for their faith. The gospel around the world costs people something, a great deal. And I can tell you stories from our our global partners, our mission partners in countries like Mexico, the Philippines, Turkey, Africa. There are costs, incredible costs to the gospel. In some cases, employment, people losing employment, housing, others complete rejection and excommunication. And in some cases, yes, physical harm and death. This is what people face for the gospel all the time. I was reminded of a specific area in Mexico that we as a church, we go and we do ministry called Zacatecas. And in Zacatecas, there's a guy named uh, Porfirio. And, um, and he, he secretly leads a congregation in this community. We can put up his picture. And if the community was to find out, there's him on the left, that he was a Christian, he would immediately be excommunicated, sent out of the city, physically harmed, and homeless, without a home, without a family, without a community. Uh, the, the, there's other people in, in the city of Zacatecas. Put up the, the next photo. These are some of the believers there. Each one of them has faced incredible costs for the Gospels, being totally excommunicated from their families. And rejected. Some of them even rejected because their parents joined another cult and religion in worshiping Diablo, the devil. Uh, and so they rejected them as children. They grew up without parents. And when they came to faith, they were even rejected from, they had already been rejected by their parents, but now they were rejected from the community. And so we as a church, what we did is we built a house of refuge where when people come to faith in the city of Zacatecas, they have somewhere to go where they can belong, where they can have family. And this isn't just the cost that people pay in Mexico, in certain areas of Mexico. This is the cost that people pay in in modern, or like in places like Iran. In Iran, um, I I even thought about, uh, we, we bring over many refugee families as a church, usually two or three a year. Uh, and one of those families, the Jolaganis, uh, and uh, you can see Matab on the left there, and Rana, their mom Sheila, and Siamak. Siamak works at the church. Uh, Matab's one of our, our pastoral apprentices. But they, when they lived in Iran, they came to faith. Their lives were being threatened. They fled. They had to walk through the mountains to Turkey. They were refugees in Turkey for seven years until they were able to come over here. Their faith cost them everything. Friends, there's an incredible cost to sharing the good news because some will reject us. And the question that I have for you is this, is are you willing to pay the cost? You see, as we look at 
Paul spreading the good news, once again, he's thrown out of town. He is stoned to the point of unconscious. And we witness the cost. And so what we have to do is we have to reorient in our minds what it really truly means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a guy named A.W. Tozer. He's a theologian and a hero of the Alliance denomination. If you go to Ambrose University, the Alliance Christian University, there's two statues. One is of A.B. Simpson, who our founder, and the other is of A.W. Tozer. And the students, this is kind of uh, funny, actually. The students, like before exams, will rub their noses. So if you go and look at the statues, they have like these like really shiny noses, right? Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> But A.W. Tozer, he helps us as the church, he challenges us as the church and as Christians to, to really reorient the way that we think about our faith. He once penned these words. He said, Christ calls men to carry a cross. He's, he's challenging the church and Christian leaders. He says, but we call them to have fun in his name. He calls them to forsake the world. And we assure them that if they accept Jesus, the world is their oyster. He calls them to suffer, but we call them to enjoy all of the commonplace comforts modern civilization affords. He calls them to self-abnegation, that is self-denial and death. And we call them to spread themselves like green bay trees or perchance even to become stars. He calls them to holiness and we call them to cheap and flashy happiness that would have been rejected with scorn by the least of Stoic philosophers. We can afford to suffer now because we will have a long eternity to enjoy ourselves. Our enjoyment will be valid and pure, for it will come the right way at the right time. He is challenging us to reorient in our minds what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's challenging us. He says, the call of Christ is to carry a cross. The call of Christ is to forsake the world. The call of Christ is to suffer. It is self-denial. The inspirational settings, they are tempted to preach a message that is not in accordance with the results of the gospel. Now, frankly, in our day and our time here in Port Moody, in the year 2023, many of us will not have to greatly suffer. Many of us will not have to die. But we can reorient to go, what is it that Christ is truly calling me to? Have I truly counted the cost? I love that Tozer reminds us, he says, listen, we can suffer now. We can pay the cost. Why? Because we will have a long eternity to enjoy ourselves. And our enjoyment will be valid and pure. And it will come at the right time. I think the reason why many of us are unwilling to pay the cost is because if we are truly honest with ourselves, if I'm truly honest with myself, I'm not fully sure of eternity. Like I don't really know or believe like fully, I say I do theologically that it is true, that I actually am going to get to spend an eternity with God in complete peace where there's no more pain and sickness and sorrow and death, where I can have this incredible and full enjoyment. He says we can, we can afford to suffer now because we will have an eternity of enjoyment with no more pain, with no more sorrow, with no more darkness, only light. 
But if we truly believe what we believe, then a little bit of rejection at J.J. Bean, okay? I know somebody like recently, I, I, a friend of mine, they were like, you know, they were rejected like entrance into J.J. Bean, okay? Because of who they were and what they believed. Yeah, it happened. Uh, and, um, you know, and it's like we can, we can deal with that, you know? If we truly recognize we have all of eternity to enjoy everything that Christ has offered us. Friends, we counted the costs. The early disciples did, and I'm glad that they did. I am so glad that they did. Because, friends, if they didn't, the next generation would not have heard. And I might not have ever heard this life-giving gospel and good news of Jesus. You might not have heard the life-giving message of Jesus if they weren't willing to pay the cost. And so would we pay the cost for the next generation? Would we pay the cost for our friends and our neighbors? Would we pay the cost for the city of Port Moody? Would we count the costs so that some might believe, that some might receive the hope that we have in Jesus to know that they are loved, to find forgiveness of their sins, to put to bed their past, to accept the, the, this incredible message which frees us. This is why we pay it. It is not for us, it is for them. And I'm grateful that Paul and Barnabas paid it for them. They paid it for image-bearing, valuable, incredible, beautiful people who deserve to hear, to have an opportunity to receive this grace that we have found in Jesus. And this is why we go to the theater that's why some of us in two weeks are going to get on a bus or walk an extra 10 kilometers. It's not 10, it's like two, sorry. <laughs> right? This is why we do it. It's for them. It's for them. This leads me to the final point, and it's a really quick point. It's a transitional point. I invite the band up. <sighs> yeah, we pay the cost, but I want to remind us this morning what that the good news is also for you. It's not just for them, but it is for you. It is for you. And Paul, he lays out the good news for us, doesn't he? He says, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He lays out the gospel for us. And it's really simple. You're not a God. <laughs> You're a human being. Turn from these worthless things. And turn to the living God. Each and every one of us, he says, friends, why are you doing this? In a sense, we are not gods, right? We are not gods. But the lie of our culture is this. You are God. You're the king of your own castle. You make your own rules. You get to discern and decide what is good and evil, right and true. You are in control of your destiny. You can do whatever you want. But the gospel reminds us, it humbles us in a really good way. You're not a God. 
You're merely a human being. And you know what human beings are? Since Genesis chapter 3, we are broken. We are sinful. We make mistakes. We miss the mark. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need a Savior. And that Savior, Jesus Christ, came among us. And he gave us an opportunity to turn for worthless things, things that just will not ultimately fulfill us, and to turn to God, the living God, to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And this is what we remember. This is why the cross is center stage. When we take communion, we remember this reality. I'm not God. I'm a human being. This week, I've turned to worthless things, but today I am turning to the living God to receive mercy and find grace in my time of need. And so in a moment here, the usher is going to come forward, and you're going to come forward if you believe that reality or you want to believe that reality and receive the juice. It represents the blood of Jesus poured out for you to receive the wafer. The wafer represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. We proclaim this gospel and this truth as we come to the table this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then receive. Jesus, thank you for this morning. And I am grateful for the gospel. I'm grateful for the gospel, which is for me. Grateful for the reminder this morning, I'm not God. (laughs) I'm a human being. And yes, I have turned to worthless things, but man, I have an opportunity this morning to turn to the living God, to fix my eyes on you and what you have done, to receive your grace, to receive your mercy, to receive your forgiveness for my shortcomings and my moments of weakness. Thank you for that truth, Lord. It is true for every single one in this room this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.